1: Heads up, big announcement, we are rebranding today, changing the name to more accurately reflect what Man Listening has all been about, and uh, the suggestion has been, and I think it's a good one, to call it In Her Words, to focus on the interview subject. In Her Words, which is a production of Man Listening. You can talk back to us always, manlistening.com, and we're also going to be on Instagram and Facebook. So you can email or you can comment there and um, picked a great one for today's great one to transition in her words, because a master storyteller, my friend Caroline.
2: If I can just look up, I'm going to get pulled up in the
0: sunshine. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words in her words a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard
1: hey there I'm Stuart Watson welcome to in her words I'm gonna have to get used to saying that my friend Caroline Noble is also my massage therapist and a very good one um, she lost her husband after about with Alzheimer's and also he had pancreatic cancer and she really didn't want to talk to me for a while because she was still so deep in that grief, which I totally respect. But now she, she really has a story, an incredible story of resilience. Um, one program note, you will hear her dog start to whine because there was a thunderstorm passing over us down near the South Carolina line. Don't worry, we didn't you know, lock the dog up or let it run out in the thunderstorm. It actually came and sat on my lap perfectly delightful adoptee dog from Belize named Star. So don't worry about the dog whining in the middle of the interview. The dog is fine. My friend, Caroline Noble. Where were you born?
2: I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: Hospital or home?
2: Um, Hospital, I was was a, a Charlotte Memorial gal.
1: Did you grow up here?
2: I am native to the area. There aren't a lot of us around, but we do exist. Yes. And I'm actually third generation native. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My great grandfather was a streetcar conductor in, in Dilworth.
1: For your mother, you're number what of how many?
2: I'm an only child. From the time I was really little, they treated me as an adult. My parents divorced when I was little. One of the constants in my life was my grandparents, my father's parents, and they had a place on the lake. D- d- do you swim in the lake?
1: Which lake? There are three around Charlotte.
2: So it's Lake Wiley for me. Okay,
1: so to the south.
2: The little lake. Yeah, yes. our little lake. Do you swim in the lake?
1: It's hard to swim because we're most close to Mountain Island Okay. and then Lake Norman, and you have very limited beaches on Lake Norman Yes. but I have swum in lakes in the south. Why do you ask?
2: Because a lot of people don't like lakes. Um, It's just interesting to me. It's not appealing to them at all. I can't imagine my life without the lake. My grandparents had a place on Lake Wiley and it was where I got to really be a child. It was where I got to learn things Without, you know, without any judgment or without any harsh words. And where my grandparents' place was, um, there was a yacht club. It, they called it the Yacht Club, and it was just a sailboat club. Um, a Sounds
1: c- more pretentious. <laughs> right. It was
2: definitely not a yacht club. The, the, the dock, I mean, everything was lovely, but just a pier with some, with some kind of not giant boats for sure. And a little clubhouse across the cove. And we used to, my grandma would say, oh, there's gonna be a regatta tonight. And often what that meant was that the sailfish were going out for a race, the little sailboats, but bright colored sails um, and the sunset. So to see those sailboats going into the sunset was just one of the most delightful things. I learned to row a boat. I learned to be quiet in the afternoon while my grandfather was taking a nap.
1: Both grandparents, all to yourself. Yes, it was. And they were all about you.
2: Yes, and 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 just including me in everything. Yeah, I, my grandfather would say, "We're going to go play bush today," and he would make it really fantastic. And all all we were doing was you know, clear and scrub, um, but. But
1: it was play, it was right. not work, it was play. Right,
2: <laughs> yeah. I grew up really, really attached to that place. Um, there was a period of time in my teenage years when it was kind of abandoned because of illness and this and that and the other. And so my best friend and I figured out how to get in the trailer. It was a trailer with that was mostly porch, big porch all around it. And so we spent a lot of time out there, um, kind of trespassing, uh, hanging out. One of the more memorable times, we had to drive home with the windows down to dry our hair because we told her mom that we were going to be at the library all afternoon. And you you just, you can't come home from the library with wet hair. (laughs) It doesn't help your story hold up
1: oh, there were worse things you could have been doing.
2: And we probably were doing all those worse things (laughs) as well. Um, But honestly, not in too much trouble, honestly. Because we were just teenage girls. And then my dad ended up buying the property from his sisters, and he built a cabin on the property. And it was a family place for weekends. Um, And I was able to take my kids out there. I have some really, really great memories of being with my dad as an adult out there. Unfortunately, as I grew into my adult years and my children didn't need me so much, I started going off to the cabin a lot to isolate. It By turned, yourself? Yep.
1: So no more friend from high school?
2: Well, no, she would go out there with me and, and isolate with me sometimes. We really love to do that. And, and when I say go out and isolate, what I really mean is that just to get, that I, I would say I needed time away from my family and what I really wanted was time to you know drink, honestly. Uh-huh. Um, and smoke cigarettes um, without having to sneak around, which is what I was doing anyway.
1: So what I'm sensing is, there were the fun times with your friend in which this was like one of the best memories there was. This place evoked those memories. And then the same place became kind of dark.
2: It did. I would go out there and spend the weekend by myself and have a great time, just a really great time. But I was on the pier sneering and, and being snide and sarcastic and cynical in my head about anybody. The fishermen coming along. The yacht club had a rowing team. Then people were learning how to row in a team in my cove. And I was irritated by the noise they made at the ungodly hour of eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And I was just really cynical, and people falling in the water, and, 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 and I would, on my peer, laugh at them.
1: And really kind of judgy. Really judgy. And better than. Really better than. Who are these rudes?
2: Exactly, but privilege and entitlement. Yeah, yeah. I was the queen of my little castle. Be- oh, me I and say, my cabin and right. my
1: property and my right. dock and my you know Right. Like who are you? Right. And your little fishing
2: boat. <laughs> and and just and just riffraff and just in my front yard.
1: Yeah. On the lake. Yeah, a bunch you, of rednecks.
2: You got no you, you can't you can't ride your your jet ski down here. This is my part of the lake right here.
1: Yes. Well this is this is also not exactly you know, the Hamptons. Well, it's not exactly Connecticut.
2: True enough. <laughs> true enough.
1: We're talking. Stuff true enough. A while. Right?
2: Gas, and it smells like fish and gasoline. So, there was a point at which um, my dad wanted to sell the cabin, and I just wouldn't have it. Yeah. And it was lawyers, and it was screaming and yelling, and it was awful. It because went because
1: the family was saying no, please. Well, not. so.
2: Well, my dad had put me on the title deed. We owned it together. Oh. And then he wanted to sell it. And and I had to sign off on selling it, and I just wouldn't do it. I just dug my heels in. I really had the notion that I just wouldn't be able to survive without that place. That I just who would I be?
1: Yeah. Part of your identity.
2: I I I couldn't fathom not having that place.
1: Such an anchoring kind of thing. Yeah. Almost like the family farm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I sometimes say that our family crest um, in Latin uh, translates to uh, do it the hard way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, we could have done this without all the drama, right. without all the squabbling, right. or the vitriol.
2: Right, yeah. And, and we ended up, I ended up just not seeing my dad for a great long period oh. of time over it. Anyway, I got the cabin. Did and he need
1: the money? No, uh, good Lord, no. He just was like, who needs the hassle?
2: Uh, no, honestly, he had a situation. He, he wanted something bigger. He wanted, he oh, wanted... He just wanted to trade up. He, yeah, he wanted a so, bigger, fa- more fantastic something someplace else.
1: So obviously, this did not represent the same thing to him that it did to you.
2: I had the misguided sense that I was doing this for my grandparents and for my dad who didn't even want me to do it and for my children and you know, and their children, you know. So
1: you're preserving the, you you were the self-appointed custodian of the family legacy. Yep, that was and me. in fact, it was for Caroline. It was, right,
2: exactly, it was, that was.
1: It's not for the mythical great grandchildren.
2: No, no.
1: It's for you because I, you, it means a lot.
2: It meant so much to me but and you know,
1: I. Which is a perfectly legitimate reason. Sure.
2: Sure. To have it, Sure. Because, except that I was abandoning my family to uh, go to go isolate and and you know, I I need to be alone. I need my alone time. I'm, no. I'm so so put upon. I have to I have to get some I have to get a break. Well
1: some people do need. I mean I
2: don't and think that's, I do, and I and, and and I'm right there with you as long as it's not a part of active alcoholism.
1: Oh, I get you. Okay, in which case isolation equals death eventually. Right. We we also need to be part of groups. Right. Desperately, I mean, uh, hermits or, you know, uh, gurus who go alone into the desert and and mystics and that kind of thing, that's great. As long as you don't take a fifth of Jack Daniels with you.
2: Precisely. I'm sitting on the pier, and I'm writing, 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 writing. I've got notebooks and notebooks and notebooks that are just full of just, I can imagine, the awfulest drivel. Because I, I you still have them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you ever look back through them? I have not yet, but I know that at some point I will have a period of time where I'll go, you know, I'm, let's, let's have a look. Let's, let's go see what past Caroline might have looked
1: like. When I look at mine, there are little things in there I was like, woof. Woo. yeah and they presage oh yeah you know because it was all about frantically looking for the way to control this runaway train i was reaching for the levers the brake the steering whatever i was mm-hmm. like how are we going to throw on the emergency brake on this barreling downhill runaway train it was it, it was.
2: didn't it didn't that it didn't feel that way to me because i had i had this sense of a knit. I always had a sense of a net. I got married when I was 18. Oh, wow. And so, I didn't take care of myself really in any way for most of my life. I didn't... Did not meet
1: that guy in high school?
2: Um, I went to work for him when I was in high school. He oh, was a, a he was a advertising he had an advertising agency. Oh, so you
1: had a job and you married the boss.
2: I sure did at, at, at eighteen.
1: Was he that much older?
2: No, twenty two. Okay. We just knew everything. That's all. Oh, ah, okay. We both we, we, we came from terribly dysfunctional homes, the both of us, and we made a pact that we were going to do it different.
1: And how long before he um y'all had kids?
2: Four years. Okay. We did wait, you know, a teeny a little, little window, bit. a teeny, yeah, teeny little bit, yeah, yeah. but I, I got started real early.
1: Did you enjoy being a mom?
2: I did, I was, a, yeah, I really did, I really did, it was very healing for me. It was a real opportunity for me to do, to to really do a bunch of stuff that I would have loved for my, for my family to have done with me, to do with my kids.
1: Yeah, was, were you able to stop drinking? <sighs>
2: So I, you know, my, I was, I was just a binge drinker and it, it didn't get out of control until 2006 and 2012 was when it really got bad. There was a point at which we had a big house in town where we were living and we had the cabin at the lake. Um, I put my family through hell to keep the cabin. It was really hard on my kids. Um, it's hard on my whole family, but we kept it. And in 2012, we had um, my Daughter and her husband and her son, her son and had a baby on the way and they were living at the cabin. And my husband died, uh, 2012. Um, and um, the world effectively ended for my family in 2012.
1: What did that mean for the house?
2: Well, so what it meant was that, that for the first time in my life, I got a, a real look at our financial situation. Um, I had never, I didn't have, didn't have any idea. I allowed everything to be run for me. I would occasionally say, we need to sit down and you need to, and this and that and the other, and he would say, yes, that's just what we'll do, and then we never did. And he and he just handled everything. Yeah. Can you hear her barking? Is she yeah.
1: okay? I just want her to be okay, too. Yeah. Would she come out of here? No, she won't. It'll be a pain in the it's ass. okay. Just go ahead.
2: So, it was a house of cards that came down is what happened when Kelly died, and i let go of the house in town and sold a bunch of stuff and put a bunch of stuff in storage and moved to the room above the garage at the cabin while my children were living in the cabin and that's when i really commenced to drinking
1: is there any way we can? is she upset about the rain i'm just
2: going to close
1: oh, that bedroom so. door all right you were
2: yeah trying uh, to drink myself to death at the cabin
1: And you- you moved in
2: what ended up happening I eventually had to I did have to let go of the cabin I did have to Um, and finances just for everything children moved out because they could not manage living in the sphere of my alcoholism I can't imagine how heartbreaking it must have been for them to lose their dad, and then see, and then start to lose me. It's all there was to it, um, and I had been gone from them for a, for a while at that point, uh, just because I was unable to be to be fully present. I had to get sober, and I had to let go of the cabin. Um, I didn't want to do either one. Um, I really had no idea how I was going to survive not having the cabin, or or being at the lake, but. It was the first opportunity I had to really show, to really show faith and trust and let go. And so in 2013, I did. And it was like vines unfurling out of my chest when I drove away the last time. I can't tell you the weird peace that I had. I left it with claw marks all over it. I mean, I hung on for as long as I could. And then miraculously, when I let go, I really did let it go. Now it was easier because I stripped it bare before I left. <laughs> I took the doors my dad built. I took the stained glass because I knew they were going to gut it. I didn't know even know if it was going to be standing. It is still standing. Um, so that was 2013. Mm. Since then, part of the reason that I was able to let go of the cabin and that I was able to get sober is because a person who had been peripheral in my life up to that point really came into my life and. Um, And I married him and I really got an opportunity to find out what love was, what love really and for truly is. And I really got to find out what home is and it doesn't have anything to do with the place. We made such a home together, we really did. Then um, came 2020, the start of the, the pandemic. On top of what was going on with the world, Paul was diagnosed with early onset dementia and then with seizure disorder. That's when our lives really narrowed um, a great deal.
1: We- so it was important, if I'm not reading too much into it, to have this anchor to be able to be in the same domicile that became home, he became home. Yep. And to have that anchor, to be able to be around one
2: Yep. And to and to begin to trust my creator, yes. to begin to make a start. And so the pandemic was hard for a lot of folks. Um, Isolating. Yep. And Paul died um, uh, the day they locked Mecklenburg County down. March 23rd was the day I brought him home from the hospital. Wow. Um, and he had a a pancreatic cancer diagnosis and it was really difficult because he asked me to be honest with him and he was still able, he was present with me, but routinely he would say, what's wrong with me? Do I have COVID? Because that's what he was hearing in the news so much about and I would have to tell him for the first time again, is pancreatic cancer Paul? And I got to where I would say pancreatic cancer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he would laugh, and then he'd go, oh, is that it? Really? really? Oh, God, really? <laughs> so I was in isolation when he died. Um, there, were, there was not a lot of hospice folks, and there was no family, and there were no friends. Um, by, because if I had people in and I got sick, then Paul was dying alone. Or if Paul got sick, then Paul was dying alone. And I wasn't having it. Just wasn't having it. So getting through that was the hardest thing I ever, ever did in my life. It was and really we hard. You
1: should also say you have a health background. You...
2: I, you know, God put me in the right place in terms of the dementia for sure. I've been a caretaker for folks my whole life, so I, I did have a fantastic set of skills and knowledge in place that made our life a lot easier. And He made our lives so much easier. The last Christmas that He really participated and bought me a present, I knew that there was that there was a present that didn't make it under the tree. And so Christmas morning, we did presents, and I said, Paul, I think there might be something else for me, and he said, really? And I said, yeah, I said, I think, I think it might be in your office. And he said, let's go see. <laughs> and he was just is as... He,
1: he, <laughs> he
2: was just as excited as I was. It was great. I like to tell stories, and so I had the opportunity if, if I didn't get a good laugh the first time I told it, then just wait a little bit and I could tell it again. You
1: can work, workshop your material. Exactly. <laughs> it's
2: all new. And if I had good news, I could give it to him. I could get the joy of seeing him be happy about it three or four times before it would sink in.
1: So, oh, that's wonderful. So that was so people always talk about the bad things. You have to say, pancreatic cancer. <laughs> but they don't talk about you get to re-experience right. laughter, joy, right. discovery again and again and again.
2: Right. And why not? Yes. Why not? Yes. I'd much rather spend my time doing that. Yes. Um, the other really fantastic thing that I learned, well, staying in the moment, uh, I'm only safe right in this moment. Boy, dementia will really teach you that. Because here, here's the thing. If I'm angry about something that happened yesterday with Paul, if I want to hang on to that, then I have to tell him the whole thing all over again because he doesn't remember. It's gone for him. Why am I hanging on to it? What's the point? Do you remember is a phrase that I had to wipe out out of my vocabulary. So, Paul died and it was isolation. And it was seven months after Paul died before anyone put their arms around me when I cried. Seven months, can you imagine? It was hard, it was really hard. I'm a caretaker, that's my job, and I, I couldn't even do that, I couldn't take, I, there was, there were people looking out for me, and I was on the phone, and thank God for Zoom, yes. technology, is I did video hangs with my friends, um, but the lack of, of, the, of a physical presence of a person. What does home mean when I'm here, you know, when, when Paul's not here? In fact, I did a lot of work on the house. A, a lot of us did. Um, um,
1: uh, did you have a pup then? Yeah.
2: She was with us then, yes. And part of the reason that she came to us was because um, her owner had had an illness in hospice and she couldn't get along. Oh, wow. And so it was traumatic for her as well. So we were we were trying to What's Just her name? Sar. She's, she's my star. She's my good girl. Oh, she knows her name. Oh, yeah. yeah. she's a good, part, She's a good girl. She's a good girl.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all-around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life, and sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn. So I always keep pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. So... I reached, I ate a lot of chocolate
2: after Paul died. You're allowed. I medicated, I I figured I could have done a lot worse, and I just stopped looking in the mirror altogether. I've been obese before, I could just go ahead and do that again. I have depression, I have ongoing anxiety, don't we all, particularly having gotten through the last couple of years. But I'm real grateful that I was able to get my head up enough to go, hey, this is not good, because what I'm heading for is drinking essentially, eventually. That's what I'm heading for. And so, if I want to lose some weight, what I want to do is run a marathon and starve myself. And so what I get to do is go on Weight Watchers and walk.
1: Not the extremes, but the common sense. Right. One day at a time.
2: Right. And be persistent.
1: The small gestures. Exactly. Over a long time.
2: Exactly. And be willing to keep stepping up for myself and doing that every day. Right. So, I'm grateful that I had some skills and knowledge and was able to do that. That March, um, they they let us start getting out a little bit. And I was so scared. And I, and I talked to a bunch of people who, you know, we're all reporting a little bit of agoraphobia from having been shut up for such a long time. And we're all kind of giddy out in the world a little bit. And I really had to force myself to get out. My anxiety was overwhelming at times. And just to go be among friends for 15, 20 minutes and hear some music was about all I could manage. Um, and then I would just have to disappear. The overwhelming sense that I'm just gonna burst into tears or burst into flames or turn into water and spill out all over the floor. I didn't know what was gonna happen. Um, 15, 20 minutes was about all I could manage. And it was about that time that I had an experience. Sundays were really, really hard. And I had an experience where I'd been laying on the sofa crying for such a long time and the, the pillow was wet behind me and I got up and got a towel and put it on the, on the pillow and lay back down and kept crying and soaked the towel. It was a really hard afternoon. And at some point in there, I had this uh, flips, uh, a switch flipped for me. And I found all this gratitude for the pain. It was really weird. Um, um, I was all of a sudden so grateful for the pain.
1: Because it was...
2: Because. Well, what came to mind, uh, uh, Cahil Gibran, I may, I may have his name wrong, but, and I paraphrase, but it's that grief and sorrow dig the hole that I can fill with joy, to have a hole that deep that was caused because I love someone so much and I was loved so fully. To have the pain of that loss is a sacred thing that a lot of people don't get to experience, maybe. I don't know, I had never experienced it. Well, you certainly it.
1: don't experience it if you're drowning it. You're, you certainly don't experience it if you're blottoed, if you're anesthetized to it. And so that feeling is also the feeling of being fully alive.
2: And just leaning into it. Yes. It's all I could do, was lean into it.
1: And sitting with it. Yep. You had to sit with it by yourself. Now, you did have a network. I did, but... but- you had to sit with it essentially yourself.
2: I did. I'm grateful for the pandemic. I don't know that I would have done the work if I hadn't been forced to. I'm never signing up for the for the hard classes. <laughs> I want to take photography and ceramics. They we have to the easy a. They have to make me <laughs> take the hard fun. right. Let's play. That was a real turning point for me. At some point during that isolation, I started dancing every morning. <laughs> Um, just to get my heart rate up
1: uh-huh. and music? i music was there music oh god i have what built kind? i have built
2: a fantastic playlist what's I, a
1: favorite what's a favorite well what's something like the kind of well
2: the, that bruno mars my son told me to put taylor swift on so i've got i got a i got <laughs> i got a couple of taylor swift tunes you got tunes. some suggestions yes i did i did i sure did and took them actually um, and so i got i was just all of a sudden really passionate about dancing so so I got to go to a show this past March, Donna the Buffalo, have you ever heard of them? Oh, I've heard of it, yeah. And it's a big dancy crowd, happy, happy, fantastic folks, dancy, happy, fantastic music. And I didn't realize until the next day that I stayed for the the second encore. <laughs> I mean, I was there till they turned the lights up.
1: And not worried about what Anybody may, well, like nobody's judging you, one of the
2: like, things that I have found out about being a woman of a certain age and station is that I am completely <laughs> invisible among certain population, <laughs> completely invisible. Um, I can wear bright colors and my rainbow shoes and a, and a funky hat and, and the 20s and the 30s just look straight past me. It's astonishing. I can take it personally or it can be my superpower. <laughs> So so I've been, I've been hauling myself out to do more and more things. And then in May, um, I was supposed to have gone to see my son and the trip fell through. My daughter-in-law got COVID, everybody's fine. It's all good, um, but I didn't get to go. And April and actually this was in, this was, yeah, it was, it was in May. Um, April is, a, is tough for me, a lot of dates. And even though it's, I'm out a little bit from it, it's still, I still have to look out for myself. Um, um, I Like I say, depression, anxiety, self-pity wants to eat me alive some days and, uh, and grief just will grow new teeth if I give it a chance and wants, it just wants a bite out of me. I get to pay attention to that but I also get to make a decision about if I really want to go down the rabbit hole and a lot of times I just would rather not, not it's not going to be good for me just to go down the rabbit hole. So I, just by chance, uh, was talking to somebody who was taking a rowing class. (laughs) Learning to row in a team. And it was the weekend that I was, that I didn't get to go to Maryland. And I just put myself together with the person I needed to speak to and got into that rowing class. Cause guess where it was? In my cove.
1: Oh my word.
2: At the Yacht Club, in my cove.
1: So you became the person you said judge. Well, so listen to this. The,
2: so I just happened to, it was, it was like three days before the class, two days before the, the course started, and the fella that I, the, the gentleman that I spoke to said that he just happened to check email and there just happened to be a slot in the class. Um, and he said, you should, you should play the lottery today. This is, this is a lot of things lining up for you today. And I I really had the sense that it was. Rowing is hard. Have you ever tried to, to row in a team?
1: No, by myself once, but you, it's hard. It's it is. like people who say two-person kayaks are divorce boats.
2: It's humbling to it's learn to row in a team, extremely yes. humbling, just hard work physically. It put me up against myself real hard a couple of times in the very beginning because I've never done anything on a team before. I have only recently been able to be a part of and only recently become teachable and I was really grateful for both things. I was in the bow position which is actually way in the back of a, of a rowboat and I thought oh they put me here because I'm so because I'm I have good balance and I and I know how to row a little bit. No, They put me there because I was the oldest one, one of the oldest ones, and that's the person who sometimes is just responsible for putting an oar on the water and keeping the boat balanced.
1: Um,
2: And so I did have perhaps a disproportionate amount of time just enjoying the world go by while the boat rowed me. (laughs) But I did work really hard, and I learned to do it not well, but the the, the 10, 15 seconds at a time that it was working, it was great. Rowing is not for me for one thing blisters on your hands the work that i do i'm a a massage therapist and it's just not good for business if the massage therapist has blisters on her hands i'll tell you to be in my cove and, and and out in the main channel um like i say i had thought there was a time that it would kill me to be back there and i got to find out that it was okay i'd never been to the yacht club before i'd always looked across at it now I've trespassed on the pier a time or two, but I'd never been invited or, or you know, paid my way to be there actually.
1: And now when you look at the house, when you look at it from this new, completely new perspective, how, how'd how it feel in your gut?
2: It was really interesting. I, uh, I didn't know how I was gonna feel. And driving out there that first time, but you can see the pier um, that my grandfather and my father built. I went out and stood on the on the on the, the dock at the yacht club and looked down and it looks you know it looks the same. It just felt like I was just coming home and, and what it really felt like was there's no way I ever could have even thought to have asked for this. I had I had I had no I had no idea. And I and, and so I'm thinking, well maybe I'll maybe I'll row. No, I really don't want to row. But I would like to sail. I really would love to sail. I have a little bit of experience with sailing. My dad was a great sailor. Um, and, and, I, and I was thinking, you know, I wish my dad had spent more time with me, teaching me how to sail. But I got invited onto the gazebo pier to watch a sailboat race come in. It was one of the grandest moments of my life to watch the sailboats come in from that pier. Um, and I got to tell a story about something that had happened in the Cove and I had a great audience and I told it well. It was, and, and I, I had the sense to know this is one of the greatest moments of my life.
1: You realize you
2: I in did the in the moment. It was fantastic. And so two minutes later, um, I get to meet the person who's in charge of the, the sailing program out there. And I get invited to participate if I want to. And the deal is show up and crew. He said he said, we you know, we can give you lessons if you want, but if you've got some experience, just show up and and get on the boat. And so I did, and they put me on the email list. And folks, being so kind and generous with their time and talents, the first time out on the boat, I, I I'm just ballast, and and had two really wonderful, kind women, who had a lot of experience with men yelling at them on boats, and were really present to give me a very different experience than that. They
1: didn't scream, No,
2: screamers. Nobody, just for fun. And we did well in the race. And then the next day, I got to get on a, a really tippy boat and there were a lot, gusts like to 18 miles an hour. Way up on the rail, leaning out. Oh, I forgot to tell you, One of the, the, the other thing that I started doing this summer was riding roller coasters <laughs> in the spring. It had been 11 years since I had been on a roller coaster. And I got a season pass to Carowinds and went, uh, a lot of folks say as they get older, they get inner ear stuff and they can't do it. And guess what? I still can. <laughs> oh. And I'm close enough to the park that I can off season. If I'm timing it right from sitting right here to riding a roller coaster is 25 minutes. And I can ride... All the roller coasters in the park inside of two hours. I can ride them multiple times if there's no lines inside of two hours and then come home and work a full day. So why wouldn't I? And I realized up on the rail of the sailboat leaning way out, oh that's why I've been riding roller coasters. It was sailboat race training (laughs) because I really wasn't scared. And then the next time I was on the boat I had Uh, the the person that I'm sailing with who I get to sail with a lot and he is about the age that my dad would be now and he is a kind patient man who loves to teach he he's been teaching the two women or they had a lot of skills and knowledge before him but they've been sailing with him and I realized out on the boat oh I got a dad to teach me to sail God gave from my own cove even and while we were out on the boat that time, he said, what do you weigh? This is the only sport where I get to ask you what you weigh. <laughs> and I told him, and he said, you're exactly the right, the right weight for this boat. So, so, again, in training for sailboat racing. You fit. Who knew? Who knew? And, and I'm teachable. We had a situation on the boat a couple of nights ago where it got really dicey and my head caught on fire and I did something wrong and my skipper yelled, and he, it's very uncharacteristic for him. And it was okay, you know. Um, we we got past it. I didn't take it personally.
1: When I hear you, what I get is that if you were to go out, you didn't know what to ask for.
2: I didn't. I there was no way I like, could have asked for this. You were to go this.
1: out and try to engineer this. No way. You couldn't have forced it. But by.
2: Just, Just being. taking the next step.
1: Taking the next single indicated step.
2: There certainly is a, a level of serendipity involved in all of this that has nothing to do with me, that's for sure. The really astonishing thing that I get to find out that I never, ever, ever could have foreseen is that I am so much better off the other side of the cove, from the other side of the cove
1: not being locked away by yourself in the cottage, but rather being with a team, yep. in a community, in community, yes, with a group of caring people. Yes. Not cloistered away.
2: And zero ownership of any of it. All I can really do is be present. And that's just what they invited me to do. Just show up is what they kept saying, just show up. And every time I've shown up that boats go out, they'll, somebody will take me with them. I'm really getting to learn a lot. One of my very earliest memories of being at the lake, and I must have been about four because that was the year that my mom and dad separated and I was spending time alone with my dad, like that that weekend stuff. And I was at the lake with my dad and we had gotten out of the boat and on the pier, and I wanted the orange life preserver off. It was uncomfortable, miserable, and so my dad took the orange life preserver off of me, and then he put me down in an inner tube to let me float, and the inner tube was tied to the pier while he finished up with some stuff on the boat, turned his back, walked away, and I slipped right down through the middle of that inner tube, and I looked up through the water, and I could see the ring of the sky through the black inner tube and the water. And, and then my dad's head right in that circle and his arm plunging his hand. And he, and he grabbed me and pulled me straight up through the inner tube. And I came up sputtering. And he was laughing when I, when I came up to, to calm me. You know, and he was saying, you're okay, you're okay, everything's okay. And so the thing is, that's a moment that has come back to me at different times in my life. And look up is a, a phrase that just that just comes in my head sometimes when I'm you know, when I'm in the soup. And I get that image of and it's not it's not my dad's head anymore, it's but it is the net, the one that I really can trust. If I can just look up. I'm gonna get pulled up in the sunshine. So I get to be I get to be saved again in my very own cove. I don't have any idea how the story's gonna go. And I never have no matter what I have thought I knew for sure was going to happen it didn't happen you know Um, I knew for sure I was going to be the caretaker for somebody with dementia for the rest of my life that that was my life and that's what I was going to do and that's not my life anymore
1: life goes on
2: yeah yeah it does
1: yeah and you have a whole new life
2: it's it's really weird, except in exactly the same place <laughs> and starting over like a teenager again. And I driving to the lake, I drive past the neighborhood that we lived in with when, when I was a young mom. And it, this, this thought came in my head the last time I was driving through that, oh, I should just go visit the kids when they're little. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that I had the verbiage. It was just that, oh, I'll just go and visit myself from 20 years ago that seemed possible in that moment. Being so fully present in places that I have always been awash in, but in a completely new way.
1: So if you could visit yourself, like, you know, pull the car in and go in and sit down and visit with yourself, um, what, what do you think you'd tell yourself?
2: One of my strategies, um, I, I like to think about um, an alternate universe. And there's past Caroline, Um, and there's and there's also future Caroline and and present Caroline. And one of the meditations that I started doing years and years and years ago for comfort was I had a a place that I the place that I went and wait to wait for my future self to come and speak to me. And she would come down a stream, down the rocks, and and she never would get really close, but I could see her. And and I swear to God, all she ever said was, keep going.
1: (laughs) Well that's enough.
2: <laughs> and so so what gets what gets what, what I what I started thinking about when I was first taking care of Paul and that and you know, when I first learned how to step up and take care of myself um, and and be responsible for myself. I, I am, I am responsible for myself now. Who knew? When I first started being able to, to do that, one of the things that I that I played with was, Um, to do things right now that will make it easier for future Caroline. Future Caroline's got a lot to deal with. What can I do right now to make it easier for future Caroline? And so that, that set me up for when I'd get to that place and oh, thank God past Caroline did that for me. Then I would get to throw a thank you back to past Caroline. Oh, thank you, past Caroline. But that's me right this minute. I'm past Caroline to some future Caroline. And it really, I, I like to call it my gratitude circle. Yes. So I keep myself in, a, in a, a gratitude circle like that. And it also sets me up like from right here to look back at past Caroline laying right there in the second hour of crying before the moment comes that the gratitude is able to start seeping in that I can say, keep going, it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. So that's what I would say. Keep going, it's gonna be okay.
1: I love this. Oh, that's so wonderful. Uh, thank you for making time. Thank you. Namaste.
2: And to you, namaste.
1: Isn't she wonderful? Man, i just, I just so grateful to be a part of Caroline Noble's sort of circle of friends, to count her as a friend. If you want to talk back, ask questions, anything, um, we're still going to be on manlistening.com and we'll be in her words on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, look forward to your comments. Look forward to your thoughts. uh, Get the conversation started. As always, one of the biggest ways you can support us is to rate us, is to give us a review, and uh, also subscribe because it means a great deal and it helps other people find us in her words thanks so much
0: in her words is a production of the queen city podcast network in cooperation with balto creative media allison andrews at andrews creative rachel clap miller and Roshonda pratt are developmental producers sally higgins at higgins and owens tries to keep us legal our music is a day at the park by the group pictures of the floating world your announcer is katherine smith that's me if you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women.
1: A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported Man Listening and also now in her words. Uh, In Her Words podcast. I appreciate you guys, and thanks for sticking with us this two and a half years. It's been amazing.
0: Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.